This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. If you've been following along with us, folks, then you will know that our autumn series has been in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're very thankful for that book. We trust indeed that it has been a blessing and a comfort and a challenge to you over these past few weeks. But today, just between that series and a new series when 2021 comes, I want to think a little bit about God's promise, his promise to redeem what we speak of as a covenant of redemption. And I want to finish the year here because I want to preach about the certainty that we have in our Lord. This morning I want to read from John's Gospel, John chapter 6 and verse 37 to 40. This is God's Word. Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. And we thank God for his true and steadfast and unchanging word. It is usually at this point of any year that we sit down and reflect on the year that has been and start to make tentative plans for the year that lies ahead. Normally the new year and its coming fills us with a sense of hope and expectation that we are going to have a better year, a brighter year, a a stronger year than the one we've had before. We sit down and we get out our, our brand new diary that someone gave us at Christmas. We open up that packet of brand new pens that our granny gave us at Christmas and we open a fresh page and at the top of it we write New Year's Resolutions 2021. And we start dreaming and we start planning and we start laying down on paper what we hope will soon happen in our own lives. I don't know if that will happen too much this coming New Year's Eve. This year has hurt us and wounded us and shaken us from our sense of security and our sense of peace. It has been a year of absolute mind-boggling change. Change that none of us saw coming even at the end of February. I remember not really taking any of this pandemic, pandemic stuff seriously. And yet when March came here in the United Kingdom, our lives were dramatically changed. Our liberty was curtailed. Our, our plans and our dreams and our aspirations had to be put on the shelf. We had to trust the word of politicians who, who quite frankly, sometimes didn't exactly always tell us the truth. We enter into a brand new year 
and I suspect most of us are just going to sit quietly and see how it pans out. Because after all, as they like to say, in life the only things that are certain are death and taxes. But friends, today as this year comes to a close, I want to speak of something else that is absolutely certain. And I pray today that the message that I will preach will be one that is encouraging for you. A message that causes you to think again on our triune God and to rest in him and to know the assurance and the peace that comes from being in Christ. You see, this has been a tumultuous year, but we can say confidently as it comes to a close that at no point did the Lord leave us, nor did he forsake us. At no point of COVID, at no point of family tragedy, at no point in redundancy, at no point in worry and strife and fear and pandemic and Brexit, at no point did the Lord leave us, nor did he forsake us. My friends, I know that those are easy words for any preacher to say. I often say them and even as they're coming out of my mouth, I know at times it seems quite patronizing as if I'm patting you on the head and ushering you off the bed and saying, oh, I don't be worrying. The Lord will not leave us, nor will he forsake us. See you in the morning. But my friends, I do not pray or plan to patronize you today. It is proclaimed from me about this truth because I want you to be sure and certain of that which we believe. You see, if we are in Christ's hand, then there is absolutely no danger of us slipping through his fingers. If we belong to Jesus and bear that name Christian, then it is true. It is true. It is not patronizing, but it is true that he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. As the year comes to a close, I want to speak of something called the covenant of redemption. As Presbyterians, as Reformed Christians, we often take a lot of criticism for some of the things we do. One of those things that we do is we baptise the children of one or both believing parents. Our critics will point the finger and say, well this should have been thrown out at the Reformation. They will point and say that it's something that, that the Roman church still does and, and we still do, but it is falsehood, it is an error, and it, it should be cast out if we are to be truly reformed. But my brothers and sisters, we are truly reformed. The reformed churches have always baptised children. And before we get into any debate about whether we should do it or not, then it is important that we understand covenant. And it's very hard. Covenant means a promise. And God is a holy God. He is a majestic God. He is a God who is far beyond our imagination or our understanding. And so God condescends to our level. I know when we speak of condescension, it, it is a negative thing in our eyes. We don't want to be a condescending person and we don't like condescending people. But when we speak of the condescension of God, we speak of him willingly lowering himself to our level. We spoke in the summer about the condescension of Christ. He comes and he takes on flesh. He becomes like us in every way, yet without sin. But when it comes to the issue of covenant and we speak of the condescension of God, then we understand it in this way. That because the Lord and you and I are not on the same level, 
We are not God's counsellors. We don't give him a gift that he will repay. That's not how it works. So the Lord lowers himself to our level. He condescends to our level. And he deals with us by the way of covenant. One theologian puts it this way. He says that a covenant is a bond in blood divinely administered. A covenant is a bond in blood divinely administered. Let me put it in a more simple way. A covenant is a promise that is made by God. We see a covenant of works in the Garden of Eden. The Lord commands Adam not to eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, Adam fails. Adam does not obey. Adam falls and the covenant of works is ripped asunder. No more may man be able to be saved by his work. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we meet the covenant of grace, where the Lord speaks to the devil and says, here is what's going to happen. A child is coming, an offspring of the woman is coming. There will be war and enmity between your offspring and hers. But when the child comes, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The Lord speaks about the coming of Christ in Genesis chapter 3. He speaks about this child of promise coming to fulfill the terms of the covenant of grace, this bond in blood divinely administered. Jesus comes and lays down his life as a ransom for many. He is the second Adam who keeps God's law perfectly. And so we are not saved by our works, but we are saved by Christ's perfect works. We receive him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And my friends, this is the covenant of grace. As Reformed Christians, we acknowledge these two covenants as key to our understanding of the Bible. Why then do we baptise children? Because we believe in the covenant of grace and we believe that a sign of that covenant of grace was circumcision to little boys. And then when the New Testament comes, nowhere do we find those terms ripped up. Instead, it is broadly opened up to a larger audience, and now we baptize boys and girls. We are covenantal Christians. So far, so good. But surely, if you've paid attention, you will know that at the start of this sermon, I said we were going to speak about the covenant of redemption. So we have the covenant of works, the covenant of grace and the covenant of redemption. Scott, what is it? You might cry. Well, hopefully today I will explain. In eternity past, the covenant of redemption was made between the three persons of the Godhead. We are Trinitarians. We are Trinitarian Protestants. We believe that there is one God, three persons, and they are all equal. That is what we accept as the Orthodox, Orthodox Christian truth. And in eternity past, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit entered into this intertriune covenant with the goal to be a people for God's own possession. In eternity past, the Father chose. In eternity past, the Son vowed that he would go and die for these people. In eternity past, the Spirit would be the one who would call them to Christ's side. Here is the covenant of redemption. And so as this year comes to a close, when we can be certain about very little, we can be certain of this. Now immediately you might think, Scott, 
I'm not a I'm not a Reformed Christian. I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Congregationalist, or or I'm a Free Presbyterian. I'm I'm not Reformed. I understand that. And maybe all of the things that I have said to you just cause your, your head to explode or to think, this is another boring theological sermon. I'm just going to skip on and, and go and watch New Year's Eve movies. Friends, slow down a wee bit, will you? Because I don't believe any of this is irrelevant and I don't believe any of this is some theological obscure thing just for the super Christians down the street. We see certainty here. We find assurance here in the covenant of redemption. And in the pages of God's word, we see it mapped out. In John 6 that we read this morning, Jesus says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In one simple and yet profound verse, in John chapter 6, verse 37, we see the covenant of redemption mapped out for us. Jesus begins by saying, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So immediately we see here the giving to the Son of a people by God the Father. Here we see that in eternity past it was the Father who decreed that a multitude would be saved. He gave them to the Son. Paul would put it this way in Ephesians 1 and verse 4 to 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Paul is abundantly clear. Before the foundation of the world, God the Father chose us for salvation in Christ Jesus. Before the foundation of the world, God the Father predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Here is the covenant of redemption, an inter-triune promise to redeem a people for God's own possession. All that the Father gives me, says Jesus, will come to me. But if we come to the Son, what good will that do us? Well, Jesus tells us clearly, everyone who looks on the Son, verse 40, and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. How do we receive the benefits of the covenant of redemption? We receive them by trusting in Christ. We receive them by believing in the Son. We receive them because we know that it is God the Son who comes and takes on flesh, becoming like us in every way, yet without sin, And it is God the Son who goes to Calvary's cross, lays down his life there as a ransom for many, and he fully pays the price for our sins. It is God the Son who stands again on this earth, and it is God the Son who intercedes for us. And so as all of these things are true, as all of these things are certain, then we can be clear in these final days of a tumultuous year that we are safe and secured in the hand of God. The Father chooses, the Father gives to the Son, and the Son is the one who lays down his life for those that he has been given. And as we read in Galatians 4 and verses 4 to 5, the verses that we started our service with, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
my brothers and sisters, this is where we find great assurance in these dark days. God made no mistake. In the fullness of time, the Son was sent. The Son was sent as a fulfillment of the covenant of redemption, which was made before time, before the foundation of the world. The Father promised our people, the Son promised that he would die for them, the Spirit would be the one that would call them. And here it is. We've just come off the back of Christmas. We have celebrated in a very mute kind of way. It's been a difficult Christmas for many of you. Families have been divided by distance. Families are aware that a loved one is not at the table the way they would be normally. And yet it doesn't remove the fact from Christmas that when the fullness of time had come, the Father sent the Son. In eternity past, my brothers and sisters, your name was written down. In eternity past, the Father chose a people for his own possession. And in eternity past, the Son promised that he would lay down his life for that people. It is all played out in history. It is all revealed in the Holy Scriptures. It is the glorious covenant of redemption. And in it, we find rest. We understand that there is nothing left to chance with our Almighty God. We understand that life is not just some random chance happening. One day we're walking down the street and, and suddenly we meet the woman of our dreams and it was all a bit of good luck because we'd crossed our fingers really hard or we'd touched a lot of wood. My friends, that is not how we believe life unfolds. We believe our God is a sovereign God. We believe that he is the one who makes the sun rise in the morning and he is the one that sets the moon in the sky at night. We believe that there is not a bird that can fall from the sky without him knowing about it and we believe that he knows and counts the very hairs on our heads. Our God is sovereign and he is all-knowing. We, we speak of that as omniscient. He knows all things. He is omni, all science, omniscience all-knowing and if that is the case and I believe it is and we see it in the covenant of redemption then surely we can trust him in what has been an absolutely horrendous year surely we can trust him in an uncertain year that is still to come the year that we tentatively call it 2021 and we hope for the best we hope it's going to be a much better year than the one we've just had. But, but what if it isn't? For a second, what if it isn't? What if it is, is even worse? My friends, we hope not. We really, really hope not. But if it is, we believe there are things which still will not change. We can be certain in our God absolutely rock solid certain in all things and certainly in our salvation in eternity past the father chose in eternity past the son volunteered to lay down his life for many and in eternity past the spirit would be the one who would call many to the side of christ Jesus says in verse 37 of John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Jesus again speaks of certainty. All that the Father gives will come. All that the Father gives will come. You see the certain language that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. 
Jesus doesn't speak with uncertainty. He doesn't speak the way you and I do that says, we hope the new year is going to be better than this one. No, instead he, he doesn't say, all that the Father gives might come, fingers crossed will come, hopefully will come. But with certainty he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. My brothers and sisters, you are part of that number. As you listen to this sermon today, if you are a saved man or woman, then, then I would ask you to think on how you were saved. It wasn't because you were better than your brother who wasn't saved. It wasn't because you did more good things than your granny who wasn't saved. It wasn't because you were the nicest person in your street and God had to pick someone. That's not the reason that you were saved. My friends, we are not saved by our works. We are not saved by any goodness that God sees in us. We're not saved because we have sinned less than someone else. It is by grace that you have been saved and it is not of works so that no one may boast and if that is true then how is anyone to be saved again we see our assurance in the covenant of redemption because just as the father chooses and the son comes to be bruised for us so too the holy spirit is sent to call us to the side of jesus christ Jesus says this about the Spirit's ministry in John chapter 16. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me where you're going. But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Isn't that extraordinary language? Jesus says, it is to your benefit, to your advantage that I go. And why? For if I do not go away, the helper who we know is the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, here is the Spirit's ministry. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. And verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. My friends, how are any of us saved? We are saved as the word is preached. We are saved because the Spirit works. We are saved because he renews us and gives us hearts of flesh. And we are saved because it is the Spirit who takes us by the hand with the word of God ringing in our ears. And he leads us in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. The persons of the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit are not at odds with one another. There is no division in our God. He is one yet three and perfectly united. Every person of the Godhead is equal in power and authority and substance and might and glory. This is what we believe as Trinitarian. And what we believe in the covenant of redemption is that the Father chose. The Son would be sent to die and the Holy Spirit would be the one to convict this world of their sin and lead them onto Christ. My fellow Christians, do you see the absolute certainty that is ours in God? Do you see how even in these upside down, topsy-turvy days, that if we are in Christ and we are in the most secure place in this world, 
Do you see that there is still refuge under the shadow of God's wing? Do you see that there is nothing that can rob us of that assurance? Do you see that there is not anything in this world that can take us from the hand of Christ? This so-called obscure bit of theology, the covenant of redemption, is actually a place where we find rest in these wearisome days. Jesus has said in John 6 and 37, all who the Father gives. There's the Father's choice before the foundation of the world. He gives them to the Son. And whoever is given to the Son will come to the Son. And every single day this is played out in human history. Every single day there are men, women and children all over this globe who hear the gospel, who believe it and receive it and added to the number of those who are being saved. Every single day as the gospel goes forward and the church of Jesus Christ is built, it is the Lord saying, I promise and it will be. I promise and it will be. I promise and it will be. Brothers and sisters, Today we do not need to believe the promises or the exaggerations of politicians. For we have trusted in a covenant God, a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. Jesus says here in this passage even more about our hope and about our assurance. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus does not turn away the sinner who repents. And Jesus does not receive a repentant sinner and then five years down the line throw them out of the Father's house. Maybe ten years down the line when they fall into great sin, does he throw them out of the Father's house? No, that's not how it works. All who come to the Son, says Jesus, every single one of them, they will never be cast out. There will be not a single soul lost who has been given to the Son. For Jesus is the one who says in verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, here is the covenant of redemption. The Father chooses and Jesus comes to make his will a reality. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but instead raise it up on the last day. Words of confidence, words of certainty. Jesus is clear. All who are given to the Son will be saved. And so, dear Christian, let me ask you, as if it's just you and me, one-on-one, let me ask you, how has your year been as a Christian? Do you remember back in January last year? Do you remember making those big promises? You were going to read the Bible lots this year. This was the year that you were going to crack the tough nut of prayer You've never really been someone who prays very well. The words don't come out. You you forget the words of the Lord's Prayer sometimes. But not this year. This was going to be the year. This was going to be the year that you'd never miss church. This was going to be the year that you were going to see relationships restored. That you were going to be more forgiving. And that you weren't going to take things just as personally had you done in the past. This was going to be that year. How's that been going for you? I suspect that the vast majority of people watching and listening this sermon probably have had a year that has had its highs and lows. For isn't that the Christian experience? 
Sometimes there are days that we get it, we are on fire, we're, we're passionate, we're enthusiastic, we, we're full of zealousness. And then there are other days, perhaps the majority of days, when we fight with the husband on the way out to work. And we burn the dinner when we get home. And the kids don't do a thing, they're told. And we've become homeschoolers this year and it has been an absolute disaster. The children can't spell their name and, and you can hardly read anymore. It's been so long since you picked up a book, never mind the Bible. And it's been another one of those years. Whereas you look in the mirror, you think to yourself, really, I'm saved? I can be certain of that? Really? Brothers and sisters, really. The covenant of redemption teaches us that in eternity past, the Father chose. In eternity past, the Son volunteered to come and to die. In eternity past, the Spirit would be the one who would come to call many to repentance and faith in Christ. And Jesus says every single one of those names, every single child of God, every single member of the church of Jesus Christ, every single part of God's elect people, every single one of them will be saved. They will not be cast out because of poor performance in 2020 and they will not be lost, but they will be raised up on the last day. There's our confidence. My friends, I know that this year has been wick. It has been horrendous. And I know for many of you listening to this, you, you might even think, Scott, you have no clue. You have no clue how bad this year has been. You know what? I, I'm, you're right. I, I have no clue. But you do. And God does. And my brothers and sisters, I, I want you to see even in the midst of this horrendous year, that a day will come when Jesus will return and everyone who has ever lived will stand before him. It will be a day of judgment and the right will go away into everlasting life and the, the left will go away into everlasting punishment. When that day comes, Jesus says, because you have believed, because the Father chose, because the Son died, because the Spirit called, because you have received Christ by faith, then on that day, you will be raised to everlasting life. On that day, you will see Jesus. On that day, you will see that not even the worst of pandemics could rip you from your Saviour's hand. There's our peace and our assurance and our certainty. Friends, Jesus came not so that we could celebrate by eating far too much and staying up far too late and spending far, far too much money. But Jesus came to do the will of the one who sent him. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. See, there's the gospel. And it hasn't changed in 2020. And it won't change in 2021. And even if we have another 10,000 or 10 million years left before Christ returns, the gospel will remain the same. For it is a gospel that is written in eternity past. That all who believe in the Son will be saved. 
See, today's sermon is an imperfect one. Every one of them is. But in an imperfect way, I've tried to encourage the saints of God, to the, the men and women who have received Christ by faith. I want them to remember their certainty in the promises of God, in the covenant of redemption. I want them to remember that they are not and will not be undone. But let me finish today by speaking to those of you who do not know Christ. You've heard this gospel before, I'm sure. If you live in Northern Ireland, you see it written on billboards and wayside pulpits all across the land. But you've never believed it. You've never received it. You've never given it consideration because it's not for someone like you. Or maybe you've believed a false gospel that says all will be saved. Goodness saves us. Keeping the Ten Commandments saves us. Therefore, you're going to be okay. Those are false gospels. And so I close this year by preaching the true gospel. The good news that says Christ Jesus died for sinners and was raised for their justification. And what must you do with this good news, this gospel? You must respond to it and you must believe it. You must repent of your sins and you must receive Christ by faith. Friends, as this year comes to a close, as you too have been rocked by the uncertainty of 2020, I can assure you that without Christ in 2021 and 22 and 23 and all the years of yours that are ahead, I can assure you that every single one of them will remain uncertain and then there will come the day that you will leave this place and maybe you will leave after six months on a deathbed saying goodbye to family and friends and, and getting all your affairs in order or maybe it will come one day quickly and suddenly and neither you or anybody that loves you will see it coming regardless of how it comes it will come and if you leave this place without Christ as your saviour then you go certainly to a lost eternity but today on the 27th day of December 2020, I freely offer you salvation in Christ. Certainty in Christ. Hope for today and hope for tomorrow in Christ. The Christ who has paid the price for the sins of his people. And the Christ who is alive and well and coming back the Christ who every eye will see and stand before, I offer you free and full salvation in this Christ. And I can promise you today, in the midst of uncertainty, that all, that all who call upon the name of the Lord, all who call upon the name of the Lord, will be See ya.